Chapter Twenty Two, Part One of Ramona. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ramona by Helen Hunt Jackson. Chapter Twenty Two, Part One. Recording by John Nell. During the first day of Ramona and Alessandro's sad journey, they scarcely spoke. Alessandro walked at the horses' heads, his face sunk on his breast, his eyes fixed on the ground. Ramona watched him in anxious fear. Even the baby's voice and cooing laugh won from him no response. After they were camped for the night, she said, "'Dear Alessandro, will you not tell me where we are going?' In spite of her gentleness, there was a shade of wounded feeling in her tone. Alessandro flung himself on his knees before her and cried, "'My Magella! My Magella! It seems to me I am going mad. I cannot tell what to do. I do not know what I think. All my thoughts seem whirling around as leaves do in brooks in the time of the spring rains. Do you think I can be going mad? It was enough to make me.' Ramona, her own heart wrung with fear, soothed him as best she could. "'Dear Alessandro,' she said, "'let us go to Los Angeles and not live with the Indians any more. You could get work there. You could play at dances sometimes. There must be plenty of work. I could get more sewing to do, too. It would be better, I think.' He looked horror-stricken at the thought. "'Go live among the white people?' he cried. What does Magella think would become of one Indian or two alone among whites? If they will come to our villages and drive us out a hundred at a time, what would they do to one man alone? Oh, Magella, it's foolish. But there are many of your people at work for whites at San Bernardino and other places, she persisted. Why could not we do as they do? Yes, he said bitterly, at work for whites. So they are. Magella has not seen. No man will pay an Indian but half wages. Even long ago, when the fathers were not all gone and tried to help the Indians, my father has told me that it was the way only to pay an Indian one half that a white man or a Mexican had. It was the Mexicans, too, did that, Magella. And now they pay the Indians in money sometimes, half wages, sometimes in bad flour or things he does not want, sometimes in whiskey and if he will not take it and asks for his money, they laugh and tell him to go then. One man in San Bernardino last year, when an Indian would not take a bottle of sour wine for pay for a day's work, shot him in the cheek with his pistol and told him to mind how he was insolent any more. Oh, Magella, do not ask me to work in the towns. I should kill some man, Magella, if I saw things like that. Ramona shuddered and was silent. Alessandro continued, If Magella would not be afraid, I know a place high up on the mountain where no man has ever been or ever will be. I found it when I was following a bear. The beast led me up. It was his home, and I said then it was a fit hiding place for a man. There is water and a little green valley. We could live there, but it would be no more than to live. It is very small, the valley. Magella would be afraid. Yes, Alessandro, I would be afraid all alone on a high mountain. Oh, do not let us go there. Try something else first, Alessandro. Is there no other Indian village you know? 
There is Saboba, he said, at foot of the San Jacinto Mountain. I had thought of that. Some of my people went there from Temecula, but it is a poor little village, Magella. Magella would not like to live in it. Neither do I believe it will long be any safer than San Pasquale. There was a kind, good old man who owned all that valley, Señor Ravallo. He found the village of Savoba there when he came to the country. It is one of the very oldest of all. He was good to all Indians, and he said they should never be disturbed, never. He is dead, but his three sons have the estate yet, and I think they would keep their father's promise to the Indians. But you see, tomorrow, Magella, they may die or go back to Mexico as Senor Valdez did, and then the Americans will get it, as they did Temecula, and there are already white men living in the valley. We will go that way, Magella. Magella shall see. If she says stay, we will stay. It was in the early afternoon that they entered the broad valley of San Jacinto. They entered it from the west. As they came in, though the sky over their heads was overcast and gray, the eastern and northeastern part of the valley was flooded with a strange light, at once ruddy and golden. It was a glorious sight. The jagged top and spurs of San Jacinto Mountain shone like the turrets and posterns of a citadel built of rubies. The glow seemed preternatural. Behold, San Jacinto, cried Alessandro. Ramona exclaimed in delight. It is an omen, she said. We are going into the sunlight, out of the shadow. And she glanced back at the west, which was of a slaty blackness. I like it not, said Alessandro. The shadow follows too fast. Indeed it did. Even as he spoke, a fierce wind blew from the north, and tearing off fleeces from the black cloud, sent them in scurrying masses across the sky. In a moment more, snowflakes began to fall. "'Holy Virgin!' cried Alessandro. Too well he knew what it meant. He urged the horses, running fast beside them. It was of no use. Too much even for Baba and Benito to make any haste with the heavily loaded wagon. "'There is an old sheep corral and a hut not over a mile farther if we could but reach it,' groaned Alessandro. "'Magella!' You and the child will freeze. She is warm on my breast, said Ramona. But, Alessandro, what ice in this wind! It is like a knife at my back. Alessandro uttered another ejaculation of dismay. The snow was fast thickening. Already the track was covered. The wind lessened. Thank God that wind no longer cuts as it did, said Ramona, her teeth chattering, clasping the baby closer and closer. I would rather it blew than not, said Alessandro. It will carry the snow before it. A little more of this, and we cannot see any more than in the night. Still thicker and faster fell the snow. The air was dense. It was, as Alessandro had said, worse than the darkness of night. This strange, opaque whiteness, thick, choking, freezing one's breath. Presently the rough jolting of the wagon showed that they were off the road. The horses stopped, refused to go on. "'We are lost if we stay here,' cried Alessandro. "'Come, my Benito, come!' And he took him by the head and pulled him by main force back into the road and led him along. It was terrible. Ramona's heart sank within her. 
She felt her arms growing numb. How much longer could she hold the baby safe? She called to Alessandro. He did not hear her. The wind had risen again. The snow was being blown in masses. It was like making headway among whirling snowdrifts. We will die, thought Ramona. Perhaps it is as well. And that was the last she knew till she heard a shouting and found herself being shaken and beaten and heard a strange voice saying, Sorry ter handle you're so rough, ma'am, but we've got ter get yer out ter the fire. Fire? Were there such things as fire and warmth? Mechanically she put the baby into the unknown arms that were reaching up to her and tried to rise from her seat, but she could not move. "'Set still, set still,' came the strange voice. "'I'll just carry the baby to my wife and come back for you. "'I allowed you couldn't get up on your feet.' "'And the tall form disappeared. "'The baby, thus vigorously disturbed from her warm sleep, began to cry. "'Thank God,' said Alessandro, at the plunging horse's heads. "'The child is alive.' "'Magella,' he called. "'Yes, Alessandro,' she answered faintly the gusts sweeping her voice like a distant echo past him. It was a marvelous rescue. They had been nearer the old sheep corral than Alessandro had thought, but except that other storm-beaten travelers had reached it before them, Alessandro had never found it. Just as he felt his strength failing him and had thought to himself, in almost the same despairing words as Ramona, "'This will end all our troubles.' he saw a faint light to the left. Instantly he had turned the horse's heads towards it. The ground was rough and broken, and more than once he had been in danger of overturning the wagon, but he had pressed on, shouting at intervals for help. At last his call was answered, and another light appeared, this time a swinging one, coming slowly towards him, a lantern in the hand of a man, whose first words, "'Wild stranger, I allow you're into trouble,' were as intelligible to Alessandro as if they had been spoken in the purest San Luiseno dialect. Not so to the stranger, Alessandro's grateful reply in Spanish. "'Another of these no-count Mexicans by thunder,' thought Jeff Hire to himself. "'Blamed if I'd lived in a country all my life if I wouldn't know better than to get caught out in such weather as this.' and as he put the crying babe into his wife's arms, he said, half impatiently, "'If I'd knowed twas Mexicans, re, I wouldn't have gone out to em. They're more to hum than I am in these year tropics.' "'Now, Jeff, you know you wouldn't let anything in shape of a human critter go perishing past our fires such weather's this,' replied the woman as she took the baby, which recognized the motherly hand at its first touch and ceased crying. "'Why, you're pooty blue-eyed little thing!' she exclaimed as she looked into the baby's face. "'I declare, Joss, think of such a mite's this being out in this weather. I'll just warm up some milk for it this minute.' "'Better seat the mother fust, Ree,' said Jeff, leading half-carrying Ramona into the hut. "'She's nigh about froze stiff.' But the sight of her baby safe and smiling was a better restorative for Ramona than anything else and in a few moments she had fully recovered. It was in a strange group she found herself. 
On a mattress in the corner of the hut lay a young man, apparently about twenty-five, whose bright eyes and flushed cheeks told but too plainly the story of his disease. The woman, tall, ungainly, her face gant, her hands hardened and wrinkled, gown ragged, shoes ragged, her dry and broken light hair wound in a careless, straggling knot in her neck, wisps of it flying over her forehead, was certainly not a prepossessing figure. Yet, spite of her careless, unkempt condition, there was a certain gentle dignity in her bearing and a kindliness in her glance, which won trust and warmed hearts at once. Her pale blue eyes were still keen-sighted, and as she fixed them on Ramona, she thought to herself, This ain't no common Mexican, nohow. Be ye movers, she said. Ramona stared. In the little English she knew, that word was not included. "'Ah, oh, senora,' she said regretfully, "'I cannot talk in the English speech, only in Spanish.' "'Spanish, eh? You're mean Mexican? "'Joss Hire, he can talk that. "'He can't talk much, though. "'Tain't good for him. His lungs is out of kilter. "'That's what we're bringing him here for, for warm climate. "'Pears like it, don't it?' "'And she chuckled grimly, but with a side glance of ineffable tenderness at the sick man.' "'Ask her who they be, Joss,' she added. Joss lifted himself on his elbow and, fixing his shining eyes on Ramona, said in Spanish, "'My mother asks if you are travelers.' "'Yes,' said Ramona. "'We have come all the way from San Diego. We are Indians.' "'Injuns!' ejaculated Joss's mother. "'Lord save us, Joss. Have we really took in Injuns? What on earth?' "'Well, well, she's fond of her babies, any white woman. "'I can see that. "'An engine or no engine, they've got to stay now. "'Yer couldn't turn a dog out in sech weather's this. "'I bet that baby's father was white then. "'Look at them blue eyes.' "'Ramona looked and listened intently, but she could understand nothing. "'Almost she doubted if the woman were really speaking English.' She had never before heard so many English sentences without being able to understand one word. The Tennessee drawl so altered even the commonest words that she did not recognize them. Turning to Joss, she said gently, "'I know very little English. I am so sorry I cannot understand. Will it tire you to interpret to me what your mother said?' Joss was as full of humor as his mother." "'She wants me to tell her what you was saying,' he said. "'I allow I'll only tell her the part aunt she'll like best.' "'My mother says you can stay here with us till the storm is over,' he said to Ramona. Swifter than lightning, Ramona had seized the woman's hand and carried it to her heart with an expressive gesture of gratitude and emotion. "'Thanks, thanks, senora,' she cried. "'What is it she calls me, Joss?' asked his mother." Senora, he replied, it only means the same as lady. Shaw, Joss, you tell her I ain't any lady. Tell her everybody round where we live calls me Aunt Ree or Miss Hire. She can call me whichever she's a mind to. She's real sweet-spoken. With some difficulty, Joss explained his mother's disclaimer of the title of Senora and the choice of name she offered to Ramona. Ramona, with smiles which won both mother and son, repeated after him both names, getting neither exactly right at first trial, and finally said, 
I like Aunt Ree best. She is so kind, like Aunt to everyone. Now ain't that queer, Joss, said Aunt Ree. Out here in this wilderness to catch somebody saying that. Just what they all say to hum. I don't know as I'm any kinder than anybody else. I don't want to see anybody put upon, nor no ways suffering. If so be's I can help. But that ain't anything extraordinary as I know. I don't know how anybody could feel any different. There's lots do's, Mammy, replied Joss affectionately. You'd find out fast enough if you're went around more. There's mighty few's goods you air to everybody. Ramona was crouching in the corner by the fire, her baby held close to her breast. The place, which at first had seemed a haven of warmth, she now saw was indeed but a poor shelter against the fearful storm which raged outside. It was only a hut of rough boards carelessly knocked together for a shepherd's temporary home. It had been long unused, and many of the boards were loose and broken. Through these crevices, at every blast of the wind, the fine snow swirled. On the hearth were burning a few sticks of wood, dead cottonwood branches, which Jeff Hire had hastily collected before the storm reached its height. A few more sticks lay by the hearth. Aunt Ree glanced at them anxiously. A poor provision for a night in the snow. "'Be ye warm, Joss?' she asked. "'Not very, Mammy,' he said. "'But I ain't cold, nuther, and that's something.' It was the way in the higher family to make the best of things. They had always possessed this virtue to such an extent that they suffered from it as from a vice. There was hardly to be found in all southern Tennessee a more contented, shiftless, ill-bestead family than theirs. But there was no grumbling. Whatever went wrong, whatever was lacking, it was just like our luck they said, and did nothing or next to nothing about it. Good-natured, affectionate, humorous people. After all, they got more comfort out of life than many a family whose surface conditions were incomparably better than theirs. When Joss, their oldest child and only son, broke down, had hemorrhage after hemorrhage, and the doctor said the only thing that could save him was to go across the plains in a wagon to California, they said, what good luck Liza was married last year. Now there ain't nothing to hinder selling the farm and going right off. And they sold their little place for half it was worth, traded cattle for a pair of horses and a covered wagon, and set off, half beggared, with their sick boy on a bed in the bottom of the wagon, as cheery as if they were rich people on a pleasure trip. A pair of steers to spell the horses and a cow to give milk for Joss, they drove before them, and so they had come by slow stages, sometimes camping for a week at a time, all the way from Tennessee to the San Jacinto Valley. They were rewarded. Joss was getting well. Another six months, they thought, would see him cured, and it would have gone hard with any one who had tried to persuade either Jefferson or Maria Hire that they were not as lucky a couple as could be found. Had they not saved Joshua, their son? Nicknames among this class of poor whites in the South seem singularly like those in vogue in New England. From totally opposite motives, the lazy, easy-going Tennessean and the hurry-driven Vermonter cut down all their family names to the shortest. To speak three syllables where one will answer seems to the Vermonter a waste of time. To the Tennessean, 
quite too much trouble. Mrs. Hire could hardly recollect ever having heard her name, Maria, in full. As a child, and until she was married, she was simply re, and as soon as she had a house of her own, to become a center of hospitality and help, she was adopted by common consent of the neighborhood in a sort of titular and universal aunthood, which really was a much greater tribute and honor than she dreamed. Not a man, woman, or child within her reach that did not call her or know of her as Aunt Ree. "'I don't know whether I'd best make any more fire now or not,' she said reflectively. "'If this storm's going to last till morning, we'll come short of wood, that's clear.' As she spoke, the door of the hut burst open and her husband staggered in, followed by Alessandro, both covered with snow, their arms full of wood. Alessandro, luckily, knew of a little clump of young cottonwood trees in a ravine only a few rods from the house, and the first thing he had thought of, after tethering the horses in shelter between the hut and the wagons, was to get wood. Jeff, seeing him take a hatchet from the wagon, had understood, got his own, and followed. And now there lay on the ground enough to keep them warm for hours. As soon as Alessandro had thrown down his load, he darted to Ramona, and kneeling down, looked anxiously into the baby's face, then into hers. Then he said devoutly, "'The saints be praised, my Magella. It is a miracle!' Joss listened in dismay to this ejaculation. If they ain't Catholics, he thought, what kind of Indians be they, I wonder? I won't tell Mammy they're Catholics. She'd feel worse than ever. I don't care what they be. That gal's got the sweetest eyes in her head ever I saw since I was born. By help of Joss's interpreting, the two families soon became well acquainted with each other's condition and plans, and a feeling of friendliness, surprising under the circumstances, grew up between them. "'Jeff,' said Aunt Ree, "'Jeff, they can't understand a word we say, "'so it's no harm done, I suppose, to speak afore em, "'though it don't seem hardly fair to take advantage "'of their not knowing any language but their own. "'But I just tell you that I've got a lesson "'in the subject of engines. "'I've always had a real mean feeling about em. "'I didn't want ter come nigh em, nor ter have em come nigh me. "'This woman here, she's as sweet a critter as ever I see.' and is bound up in that baby as yer could ask any woman to be. And's for that man, can't yer see, Jeff, he just worships the ground she walks on? That's a fact, Jeff. I don't know's ever I see a white man think so much of a woman. Come now, Jeff, do yer think yer ever did yourself? Aunt Ree was excited. The experience was to her almost incredible. Her ideas of Indians had been drawn from newspapers and from a book or two of narratives of massacres, and from an occasional sight of vagabond bands or families they had encountered in their journey across the plains. Here she found herself sitting side by side in friendly intercourse with an Indian man and Indian woman whose appearance and behavior were attractive, towards whom she felt herself singularly drawn. "'I'm free to confess, Joss,' she said. "'I wouldn't have believed it. I hain't seen nobody, black, white, or gray, since we left hum I've took to like these year folks. And they're real dark, as dark as any nigger in Tennessee. And he's pure Injun. Her father was white, she says, but she don't call herself nothing but an Injun, the same's he is. Yer notice the way she looks at him, Joss? Don't she jest set a store by that feller? And I don't blame her. 
Indeed, Joss had noticed no man was likely to see Ramona with Alessandro without perceiving the rare quality of her devotion to him. And now there was added to this devotion an indefinable anxiety which made its vigilance unceasing. Ramona feared for Alessandro's reason. She had hardly put it into words to herself, but the terrible fear dwelt with her. She felt that another blow would be more than he could bear. The storm lasted only a few hours. When it cleared, the valley was a solid expanse of white, and the stars shone out as if in an arctic sky. "'It will all be gone by noon tomorrow,' said Alessandro to Joss, who was dreading the next day. "'Not really,' he said. "'You will see,' said Alessandro. "'I have often known it thus. It is like death while it lasts, but it is never long.' End of chapter 22, part 1